So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies. What are we drinking today? We are drinking Mango and Stash. It's a holiday mystery seasonal in the um, seasonal mix um, box of cans from Hop Valley Brewing Company down in Oregon. This is new to me. It's very good. Good pick. It's new to me, too. I just had my first can of it last night, and these are the last two. So there it goes. Quick it came, quick it went. Delicious. Uh, we're going to be talking about some new releases. Somehow we manufactured a quote unquote new release episode out of VOD available titles. Uh, we're going to be covering never rarely, sometimes always Le Miserable or is it Le Miserable? Uh, I think the first pronunciation, Le Miserable. I, I thought so too, but I don't know. Uh, and then sorry, we missed you from, uh, Kenneth Loach. That is correct. But first, as always, our first impressions, we're going to be covering Capone and the true history of the Kelly Gang. The true history of the Kelly Gang is up first. Let's get to it. The child assassin. The butcher! The man, the myth, the legend? What makes you think I won't kill you right now? Sure not the man you pretend to be. I'd rather see to it that your kind suffer. Either side of that whore you call a mother. choice but to lock you up your son intends to rescue you you good boy you go out there and be a big man Hold up three two one all right that was the trailer for the true history of the kelly gang directed by justin kurzel what do you think I'm very interested. I've enjoyed George's performances before. George McKay is the um, main actor here playing Ned Kelly of the infamous Ned Kelly gang in Australia. We have Thomas and Mackenzie, Russell Crowe, Charlie Hunnam. This is certainly a film on just based on casting that I'm predispositioned to love. I am very interested in the continuing um, I guess what I would call social reckoning um, through art in Australia of the historical truths, the the trauma that it took to settle that continent. Um, and we we recently saw um, the dressmaker from Kate Winslet, which is just like a totally random seeming entry, but it actually gets into how small town Australia is extremely bittered and prejudiced, um, which it, it, you know, that doesn't sound like a, a deep film. I say the dressmaker starring Kate Winslet, but it is. And I think that this is an interesting, um, reimagining of a story about a serial killer who some people love and some people don't, according to your side of history, um, and what he did on the Australian continent. How about you? Well, I hope a movie that gives itself the title The True History of Blank prepares itself for us to fact check it every step of the way, right? That's I, what we will I be doing. I believe it's a it's a uh, it, it's a joke. I think so. It, it's it's not meant to be it's meant to fuck with you. If you will. 100%. I was being sarcastic. I think it is uh ironic and I think the tone is 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 ironic to some degree. Um and I think it looks sturdy. I think uh, I didn't realize just how many uh, uh, stars were in this. I'd really only seen the stills of George McKay. So, yeah, I would agree. The, com- the cast is compelling. Um, I think uh, Kurzel is a capable craftsman. It just might not be my thing. Um, yeah. But um, I think it looks solid. I think um, the wilderness shots in particular of, of men in in the bush – and how he shot that to look dirty and kind of smothering is going to be an interesting just piece of, of film making by itself. Mm. How he shoots men being smothered by natural um, 
environments. But yeah, I think this is something that's going to be hit and miss for folks just based on sensibility, nothing else. Word. Um, on to Capone. He has full-blown dimension. I have reason to believe it could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. You got goons walking around. Guys like you all misplaced $10 million. All right, Michael, that was Capone from Josh Trank starring Tom Hardy. What do you think? Uh, I'm not terribly familiar with Josh Trank. We were talking beforehand about some of the titles he's done. Chronicle being one you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen that. So I don't really know what to expect um, in terms of his vision. Um, I normally like um, Tom Hardy. So, you know, this looks like a scenery chewing performance. If I ever saw one, I would not mind watching him ham it up um uh in terms of the the idiosyncrasy i don't know that i i really sense much there but uh i think it could be entertaining enough what about you yeah i think i generally agree with everything you said there i saw kyle mclaughlin and i think another recognizable actor whose name i'm forgetting now um, so th- there will be a consistency, it seems, in supporting players. Josh Trank is pretty famous for making a movie called Fantastic Four that he claims was um, re-edited even worse than James Gunn's Suicide Squad was. Um, and basically he got screwed, in his own words. And this is a film that he says he has complete creative control over. The cut that we're going to be seeing is his cut. Um I'm interested in that just because I'm always interested in seeing an artist's vision and how they want to um, show us something. Tom Hardy is a very selfish performer. Um, he and Joaquin, I think more than anyone else besides perhaps Leonardo DiCaprio, really love when a movie is just all about them. She, Shia LaBeouf as well. Um, and this seems to be a film that is just completely about him. So that energy with a filmmaker who really wants to make their name back and Chronicle is a truly fantastic film on a limited budget. Um, I'm interested to see how that goes. I got kind of a camp vibe when I saw Tom Hardy's alligator eyes and his alligator face, but who knows if that's a dream sequence that we're constantly returning to of him being a predator and wait in the swamps of Florida. I don't know. I'm just saying what I saw. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hope it doesn't take itself too seriously because I think I would imagine myself having a hard time taking that kind of thing very seriously. But tough to say uh, with uh, without much context for that shot. Yeah, like if it's if it's a camp ish riff on Scarface, that could be very very pleasant for me. Hopefully, it has a sense of humor, yeah. which I I might have picked up on. It's hard to say. On to never rarely sometimes always. Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Can I sleep here? Where's the rest of the money? I want to make sure that you're safe. I know this is hard. ask you some questions they can be really personal just answer either never rarely sometimes or always all right we're back to new releases it's nice it's a good change of pace it's lukewarm it's a change of pace i did like this one more than lukewarm on it yes yeah i'm i'm pretty strongly positive on it this is a film i would have much rather wanted to see at like the grand illusion or at the beacon or the um northwest film forum i it just 
there's a lot of lingering city shots and some uh like bus window scenes where i would have really benefited from seeing it on a big screen i think but as far as the situation allows yeah this is a a great film to watch at home as far as vod i don't think too much was sacrificed but there are some things that are sacrificed yeah uh instructed by eliza hitman i get the sense that this had built lots of momentum and was really cresting at just at just the moment that it entered theaters and was building word of mouth and then got yeah, crushed the, the, by COVID. that march cr- uh, crest that we've seen so many indie movies make their name on i'm not saying this is anything like get out but it kind of had that momentum hit um that we saw at that at the same rough time that get out had and i predicted it to have more of a madeline's madeline turnout um Mm. which is a film that had a decent amount of press i believe in august or june um depending on where you were able to screen it at it started in summer and it hit limited screening rooms like four four major screening rooms quote unquote in a different city every week that way it was just constantly generating buzz so to see this not be able to benefit from that is a, a real disappointment. And I think um, it might be one of the overlooked films of the year when we look back in a, in a few years. Yeah, I think that was a, a real blow to have to pivot so hard, so fast to VOD where it has, you know, such competition and might just not be the kind of fare that people are partic- are as keen on tuning into um, in the middle of a pandemic. It um, really isn't what yeah. most people would find pleasant right now yeah but i i i really like this film I, I thought it was a great film um it's about a 17 year old girl who sets out to abort an unwanted pregnancy she's from pennsylvania she travels to new york city with a friend of hers to uh have an abortion um uh to me it was sort of a nicely procedurally focused film um focused quite squarely on her setting out to do this um one thing to abort um this unwanted pregnancy and it's sort of about the steps of um walking through um that process um yeah i'm 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 quite high on it um and sounds like you are as well yeah um I've, I've watched some films that have disappointed me since I watched it, but if I try to refresh my energy levels to when I just watched it, I was pretty thrilled by the one-to-one ratio that I felt like the camera kept with her as a performer. I, I didn't feel like I was ever missing out on anything, and I, I will say that's really hard to do when you're narrowing down a couple days into an hour and a half, and... Even when we have these asides with um, Talia Ryder's um, cousin character, they feel like they're completely enmeshed and connected. So everything is about her experience here. Um, It was certainly upsetting um, at key points, such as when they're counting out the tills or when we find out that she's being lied to from a fertility clinic who has conservative leanings and doesn't want her to be able to legally have an abortion. Um, so the, but the, the naturalistic to me, I can only explain it as a one-to-one ratio where the camera is just following her. So we don't know anything that's happening other than how we feel about an interaction with a person until she finds out. And, she never says I was raped. She never says I feel this way. She never says I want to have this abortion. You get to experience it with her where these are internal feelings she has. You experience her uh, physical abuse towards herself um, without her expressing anything besides doing it. It's a really myopic and the most beautiful way that art can be peace. And I, I really responded to that. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was very thoughtfully scripted scripted in how it goes about at first withholding um, exactly the kind of circumstance in which this pregnancy might have come about. Um, there's there's no explanation of uh, who she had sex with, who she thinks the father might be, whether it was consen- consensual or not, until a pivotal scene at uh, a Planned Parenthood clinic in New York City where it certainly opens up the possibilities 
um, to what might have happened while not um, being definitive, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, it also lets us know who she was and is. Yeah, um, I certainly read that scene um, as um, it indicating that she is, um, you know, sexually active and, and having consensual sex, but also not. And therefore, she might not even know um who the father of this might be but um you know so much of the film up until that point is also about just kind of the daily like gross behavior that these young girls are subjected to by men on a daily basis and i certainly think it lets you sort of map out possibilities that gives the film like a lot of sort of flexibility right like even if you really get the sense that this was the girl's cruel stepfather who we see um maybe you think it it was him or that it was the shitty dude who yelled during a performance that she was a slut um you know i i can imagine this is it, it it certainly leaves the door open for many different people to find their way into this movie Mm-hmm. Um, with that ambiguity, I think that was very thoughtfully handled. And just sincere. It felt, I, I mean, all that stuff is true thoughtful, but it it felt real, I guess is the only way to put it. And films feeling real, it's a weird thing where they don't really happen that often. Sometimes we look for realism in, in you know, sci-fi viscera you know people uh, say starship troopers or edge of tomorrow is some version of realism of the sci-fi canon but what what we see here is something that is really just a one-to-one experience of this girl and her cousin trying to make it to new york which is a place where she can legally have um this abortion without her parents knowing then she finds out that she'd been lied to and she has to navigate the city with limited funds and her cousin has to help her get more funds to make it home and they have to stay the night in order to get the procedure done at the one clinic that can do it. Um, and your journey with them is so non-judgmental um, that y- you never have a choice about what you, what you think about this. It's just about how you feel about these characters, which is so important um, in a movie that would normally be labeled as an issue film. Mm. I think that this is not an issue film and this is a human film and it transcends the issue in a really um, touching and, you know, you don't want to say important about anything, but um, I would say meaningful way. Yeah, you use the word realism. I think that is the right descriptor. And to me, it's kind of a unique kind of realism because um, while it is naturalistic, it's not without atmosphere, right? Like I think there's this kind of moody kind of ethereal score, which I think sounds great by Julia Holter. Highly recommended. uh, Highly recommend checking out her music if you don't uh, know her already. Um, The cinematography... um, is by Helen Louvar, who we've already talked about on the show. Um, she did uh, the cinematography for Invisible Life, um, which just gives the movie, uh, you know, some kind of a dreamlike feel or some a kind of haziness. Um, but also a distinct point of view. Yeah, I think point of view comes through um, the camera and how sort of closely in in a physical sense it's physical proximity to her um that's where i get point of view and then with with that mood i think that's where the film not only elicits empathy for her but just kind of exudes it like when i think abortion drama i can think about a certain temperature and texture of a film that can be very severe and harsh like four months three weeks two days whereas this i thought you were gonna say knocked up not so much knocked up um and this is an uncomfortable and harrowing watch, but I also think that the form is um, is is very kind of reverent, kind of like almost protective of her. Like it has it it just seems to exude a lot of respect for her strength throughout this very shitty process, mm-hmm. um, which is just a completely different kind of um, formal approach from something like four months, three weeks, two days, which is so severe and distant um, and very detached in his point of view. And I love that film too. Just they're, they're very different um, ways into this uh, subject. Well, I th- 
the interesting thing is that it always maintains our, our main character's perspective, but we do switch to Talia. But even when we do switch, we we carry our main character's perception of the world with us, and so you know it came as no surprise when we see um, her sneak up behind the column where she's kind. I don't like to even. I don't want to attempt to describe a, a moral position on this scene, other than she sneaks up behind a column and extends her hand to her cousin who is making out with a boy that they met some time ago on their way to New York, who is going to thereafter give her some cash. Um, And that handhold is everything. You know, it's these tiny moments of humanity that are everything. Or when she storms off and tries to bring the suitcase with her and the handle comes out. And then we find her in the bathroom applying makeup and then she applies it to her cousin. It's those little moments that create the non-judgmental, I guess, realism um, that is crucial and is what the film is. If you have to boil it down to one thing, it's just human naturalistic realism. Yeah. um, I like the way it portrays that friendship. They are not the most talkative uh, friends. I think we also hear that they're cousins. Yes, they're cousins. It feels like just right in sort of um, the sense that there is sort of a familial bond there. Like they're gonna be there in each other's lives no matter what. It just you kind of I kind of felt that, um, and that it could very easily just be too sentimental a movie about the power of friendship in times of hardship um i think it really dodges that by just kind of you know sitting in these um quiet moments with them that feel very real and not um uh never it's just not too much yeah it's at some level this film is modern americana it's it's got that rustic quality to it where we're going to be able to look back as a as a collective unit and you know see something that is honest about this point in time in this story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Americana is interesting because, um, because it's so divisive, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, yeah. I think, you know, when I think Americana, I think about, you know, what is a film that is, uh, dis, you know, a, dis, what, what is something that exudes the Jeff essence Nichols? of America? Um, I like, I don't know that I actually would totally agree because I think it's like, I, I don't think anyone is going to be, is going to have that much ease in separating form from content here. And if you are just an ardently pro-life person, you're probably not going to get much out of this. Like, I actually think that in a way, like it's, um, uh, it it is portraying an experience within America. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would go so far as to say like it captures the essence of what it means to be American or what the American experience is like. I, I think that it captures a a portion of Americana that in the future can be reflected on. I do think there's a significant amount of the country that would push back on it being Americana right now. But um, I think that anyone who watches it would even, no matter their point on that political topic, would still have emotions for this girl and what's happened to her by the time we get to the never rarely, sometimes always answer query um and after we see what happens when they have to count out their tills and her home life and how she's treated by her stepfather um and how she's treated throughout the film by men um regardless of political view I, i still think that it's something that you can disagree with but still agree that it's an expression of what it might be like for someone of that demographic in america yeah that's fair. Um, one thing that I did really, really love about this movie that made me know that it was going to be different than a normal movie, it wasn't going to be a flick, we could say, um, is it opens up with the school performance. Mm. And it opens up with an acoustic performance that goes the opposite of the big reveal, third act, um, family comes together jesus moment you know Mm -hmm. it's the opposite of that she's called a slut it 
goes poorly. She has to continue playing. Um, and it's deeply rhythmic and emotional and sincere, which is what the film comes to be. I, I just thought that that, much like Invisible Life, the opening sequence told me everything I needed to know about the film. Yeah. Favorite scene then? That the one? Ooh, good question. Favorite scene is... It's got to be the column. It's got to. Mm. It's got to be that column scene. Just the way that that mm. was shot, where I had no idea where she was going, and then she comes up behind this column, and the amount of the the amount of uh, emotional energy there really got me. Yeah. How about you? It's weird when you reflect on this movie. She's going in and out of clinics, you know, Planned Parenthood or other kinds that they sort of. Uh, they sort of blend together a little bit for me since she goes in and out of multiple ones. I don't know that I could, if I'm even remembering one particular one, but when she is in these clinics and having those sonograms, um, those are the scenes that just stand out to me the most or are most striking in how the camera sort of observes her during those scenes and that it doesn't feel detached. And that's what gives it its voice in a way. I think there is value in a detached view of this experience and that's what you get in something like the Munju film but this one um th- that that camera work that just feels very kind of tender and soft it seems to um be what exudes and elicits so much empathy and, and respect for her so I, I i very much appreciate how it, it handles those scenes i would agree on to les miserables ça fait 10 ans qu'on est là on est les seuls à se faire respecter. Eh les gars, les gars, ils sont là, ils sont là, ils sont là. Ceux qui se respectent, une barbe. Les gens d'ici, ils ont peur de vous, c'est tout. C'est quoi l'histoire Quand t'as volé un lion Ouais. Mais l'impression sur les petits, faut qu'on retrouve le lion. Arrête-toi là Bouge pas, arrête-toi Vous n'éviterez pas la colère et les cris. La galère, c'est qu'il y a un drone qui nous a filmé. 2019, I guess, is the the qualifier there. You have to say Les Miserables 2019. That is correct. This is loosely referencing the Victor Hugo text Les Miserables. This is not the musical Les Miserables. This is uh, a film that now is maybe best known for being the French uh, submission to the Academy Awards over Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Which Every- is all I could think when I was watching this fucking stupid movie. I can't see, like, I, it's hard <laughs> to find a conversation about this movie online that doesn't reference that, so I almost feel like you just have to mention that at this point. Yeah, this is the movie that they sub- I would love to know and have a convert. I would just love to overhear that process. Of let's not send one of the most iconic, best romance films of the decade. Let's send like a rehashed version of an old musical based on a book that's French instead. Because that's going to really resonate with the American voter. Like, oh. Yeah, I... I... I've seen that mentioned so many times. I haven't heard that many takes on why they think this was chosen over Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, I could assume that it maybe just has to do with with its like contemporary re- relevancy, and some maybe somehow the period piece feels more more distant I had in its some relevancy. I guess brief conversations with um, some folks in uh, the comment section on Letterboxd, um, mm. when I was questioning why Portrait of a Lady on Fire was not submitted, and when I, which is when I first found out about this film, after we saw it at the closing night of the, uh, the film festival at, uh, Northwest Film Forum, and, um, they told me that this film represents France, like, they, the, the French committee essentially mm. chose it because it, it represented them um and that they thought it was a great representation of modern um issues in france and that they you know thought that it was the superior film insofar as it culturally represented them Mm. that i mean that is a fair justification if that's what you want to evaluate 
your foreign language category based on is how well does a film represent its country i i guess yeah portrait of a lady on fire is about women and love um i I think when we look back at roma though i i can see why you might think that would be there um you know roma wins cold war doesn't Mm. i i guess but because cold war is a nostalgic view of romance in a negative setting of your country Right. Yeah. And seeing that not win, I, I guess I could see the case to be made, but I don't get it. I, now, can we just talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? That would be a hard pivot. I'm okay. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, this movie, Les Miserables, it is about... Um, it's set in a suburb of Paris where a cop who is more or less our main character joins an anti-crime unit. Um that is practice. Damien Bernard. We saw him um, in Dunkirk as well. Oh, I did not remember him from that. Um, for all practical purposes, I saw him as a cop. Um, although they describe the team he's on as an anti-crime unit. Um, he, SCU, right? I think that's right. Uh, he patrols the neighborhood with two other um, partners. Um, the neighborhood sort of simmering with tension between different uh, ethnic groups. Um and his uh, two partners are the um, are, are less morally upright than he might be, um, and those tensions sort of gradually explode when they have a interaction with some kids that ends um, in uh, a sort of surprise tragedy. Decent. Um. I I am I I was entertained by this film. I guess I'm kind of mixed on it though. I think this just by and large felt pretty familiar to me, especially in the kind of opening stretch. Um but yeah, um I'm I'm mixed where you at on it. It's a competently directed piece of ennui. That's all I there's just so much emptiness and complaining and there's like no redemptive character you know like there's a cop who's trying to do the right thing for zero reason no emotionally grounded character there he has a kid okay like there's just there's nothing important i guess about the film when you just look at it based on how it's shown to you like for a a while i thought Oh, we're going to do something interesting with the kid who has the drone, who's a voyeur and observing um, these girls without their permission. And then it's just a a piece of plot. It's just to further the plot. Like everything is just to further the plot. Largely directed an okay looking film. I didn't care for the edits. I didn't care for the ambiance. I thought the most interesting pieces were the violence pieces. But the violence had no reason. You know, in a film like this, you have to have an implicit reason for why things are happening. And I think that I've never seen Le Miserable, but I have to assume that the emotional transference that you get in vocality of singing can really do a lot for this type of material where there's an entire village singing their anger, right? Instead, we just see people giving derisive looks and a, a group of um, young men who are or boys who are on their school vacation who have nothing else to do assemb- assembling to commit an act of, of rogue violence against cops who are not the best guys but contextually it doesn't seem like anyone in that area is mm, yeah uh, yeah so I think I had a different take even though i'm not that much more positive on it than you i think um overall maybe slightly positive because i do think i was uh sufficiently engaged by this you mentioned the drone which figures very heavily into the plot as well as just in the form in general yes it is the plot device uh yeah lots of drone shots um a lion cub a live lion cub figures very heavily into the plot um there's a scene where for no reason that i can recall as the cops are driving along a street there are some 
teenagers or, you know, hoodlum types, that's what they would describe them as, who pop some wheelies on some four-wheelers or motorcycles as they're driving. Um, no, that's the beginning of the action sequence where they're trapped in the hotel. Uh, are they, like, like, leading them there or something like that? No, but they're tailing them. That's your inciting trigger inc- incident, you know, where you're supposed to be clued in as a viewer that something's not right. Mm. And then in the car, he says, the youths are trailing us. Yeah, I think I think my fair enough. That is the beginning of the final sequence. I think my my grape is just that much of this technique feels a little showboaty. Um sure they're they're leading them into the building where they want to take these cops down uh it felt more to me like popping wheelies is cool and i can put a lion cub in in my movie and have a circus in here just because it's cool and i don't know it is kind of cool and it was kind of entertaining but i don't know that any of this really served the material all that well um because it did um just sort of lack much uh much meaning i guess yeah um but um i don't know that i would have described it as empty i mean i did feel like it was very rich with anger about this this social tension and how the cops go about addressing it it just felt very kind of cliche and how it went about doing that especially like the the partner who i think is bald or has a shaved head that sort of macho um persona just feels so familiar especially in contrast to a cop who's kind of uncomfortable about um what he's doing it just feels very derivative um but uh, i actually kind of appreciated the intention here i think it's more technique that can feel a little just showboaty or derivative when i say empty i mean non-specific more than anything and that can happen when you watch a film adaptation that's insincere i think this was um an adaptation with two or three writers in addition to Ladgley. um so to me that's where everything comes from there's no character that the director put himself into um there's no character that the writer put themselves into right that's normally where you get something sincere and and of depth you know, it, just because we just talked about it, Eliza Hitman wrote her film. You can you can see the level of sincerity and depth there in the things not said. I don't feel any depth or sincerity to this film. It doesn't translate outside of, for me, it, into the English language, what exactly is happening. I can infer that something like what we saw in Gangs of New York is happening. I can infer that what we saw happening when we were... Um, bringing immigrants to our country and performing the melting pot function where all these people had to try to get along for the first time is happening, but there's nothing underneath that. There's no character for me to latch on to the personal experience of. There's no love story. There's no child that I ever meet. There's a the police captain who rubs some character's legs and asks if he shaves. Like there's just these weird asides without any depth. We end up finding out more about the gypsies than we do about anybody else. It's it's um a film to me that uses archetypes as like empty paper cutouts on on popsicle sticks instead of actually building a, a full-bodied character. And what's interesting is it does look good, but I don't like it. That's what interested me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think yeah, just a different characterization. I think I would have described it as a sincere but weak attempt at illustrating the anger seething between these groups. Um but why is there anger? Uh because they're treated shittily by the cops. It's just that, that the portrayal why, of that why are treatment. They angry at each other. That that to me is the more interesting thing, right? Not the cop mm. thing that that is meant to illustrate these two groups and their um, volatility or their not feeling like they're actually French and how they fit into to France. Mm. Instead, it's about the cops. It just it it doesn't seem like it makes sense to me based on the characters mm. that I was introduced to. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I just don't know that insincere means, you know, to me that means you're doing something and you don't mm. mean it. Um, insincere narrative, I should say. The screenplay did not feel sincere. I believe based on the camera work that there was a sin- sincere amount of effort put in to mm. directing. But like you said, it was showboaty. It was look what I can do. Mm. Um, I prefer Ladgerly on the other side of the camera, I think. Yeah, I mean, when I think insincere, I think something like captive state where it feels very much like a product to tap into some righteous anger in the audience because of its sort of allusions to like broader social issues like it's harder for me to believe that like an independent feature that was written and directed by a guy um you know didn't fully intend to reveal what um this can lead to which is which is um violently expressed anger i guess um but uh yeah i i don't think it was very well done to be fair um specifically in a scene like where we see um one of these cops explain spoiler alert why it was that he actually pulled the trigger when he uh shot a kid with a not an actual gun like a uh, a beanbag gun, essentially. Right. Um, he says something along the lines of, I just snapped, you know? I just couldn't take it anymore or something like that. I just don't buy it. Like, there's there's nothing... There had been nothing to this character to suggest to me that he was really full with frustration. Yes, or there any- is. His legs were smooth. His legs were very smooth, according to his boss. You're right. That was a, an odd touch. Um... I just don't, I don't think it's very credible. Um, so I would completely agree with you there. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe if I had seen this in the theater, I think I would have maybe been a little bit more engaged by the just bravura way in which this final sequence plays out. But it's also just feels a little over the top. Something about these kids pulling off quite what they do. It just... So many kids acting so organized, all holding the line together. And then... I just hated that fade out. I hated that fade out ending. I sincerely despised it. It was so... Like, you you build up the anticipation of the action. Is the child going to be shot? Or is he going to not be shot is he going to have thrown the bottle or not none of this is answered it's the only compelling question that i had in the film Eh. it seemed like a very kind of uh direct homage to do the right thing there are even those comments throughout the film about how hot it is outside yeah um and then it ends with a quote you know just like do the right thing does with two quotes i think mlk and (laughs) um malcolm x um which uh can't complain about the sources he is referencing um i wish there maybe had it it felt a little less derivative of those references yeah i i don't know this is my first largely film i think um might be his first film i think it's his fourth oh is that right i'm completely mistaken i'd be interested to see how he would interact in something um that is shot outside in nature exclusively. I I do see camera flourishes that are interesting. If he limited his drone photography and accentuated, you know, shooting things to look beautiful, I, I do think that he could do some interesting work in the future. I just did not have any bone in my body that cared for what this film had to try to say or do. I would much rather watch... Um, a film that he starred in, um, or had a had a pretty big supporting role. The world is mine. The world is ours. Um, that French film that we oh, watched, yeah. that crime yeah, yeah. film. He he played um, one of the gangsters in it, oh. um, who is a little bit racist. Good movie. Um, and he he was really great in that. So I I prefer his acting, but I do think there's something to his direction that could be interesting. Um, this just. I'm digging deep and there's nothing I can say that's really a compliment about it. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm stealing this same quote that I've used before, which Manola Darja said one time when she described a director as virtuosic but lacking in vision. And that's what it felt like to me. Or like He felt like a superb technician. He knew how to move the camera. He knew how to, to set up these shots. Just wished there was um, a little bit more originality to the voice. Yeah. Get a screenplay written from one writer next time. Fingers crossed. Um, favorite scene? I'll, I'll really put the nails to you. Well, probably the ending. I mean, it is not a poorly choreographed scene. Like, I think it is quite thrilling. It's even if it is just a little hard to buy that these kids um, uh, organized what like they do. Uh, I, I'd probably still go with the climax just by because of the sheer boldness of it, I guess. What about you? When the um, guy who's in charge of the circus brings Issa into the lion cage. Um, that definitely had some tension and, you know, you couldn't look away from the screen right then. Uh, is it was an interesting camera flourish that does a, a pan down into the side that shows us that he's urinated himself and then goes right back to, um, their faces being terrified, cut to the lion. There's some interesting edits there. Um, that, that'd be mine. Moving um, on. Yes, please. On to Sorry We Missed You. This decides who lives and who dies. You were stolen. Mm, it wasn't me, it was your mum. Say this for Mr. Campbell. Ah, uh, Robert, not. Keep some parking in me parking space. I don't get paid till they get delivered. It's my night with my family. It's a no, I'm not doing it. I'm just having some problems with my teenage son. Have you been on the train tracks and the roofs? This two days in a row. Just knuckle down. This is another £100 fine and a sanction. Otherwise, you're just going to end up like... Well, well, thank you. I never thought it would be this difficult. I just want things to go back to normal. You do more for me than you'll ever know. You've got the best thing in life here. You've got a family that care about you. <laughs> How does your company get away with this? This is my family. Thanks for the great day. And I'm telling you now, nobody messes with my family. Sorry, We Missed You, directed by Ken Loach. Mm -hmm. It centers on a British family of four. Uh, the There's a husband, a wife, uh, who are mother and father to a teenage son and a slightly younger daughter. Uh, at the beginning of the film, the father takes a job as a package delivery man in a... Um, contract labor kind of setup. He's essentially like an Uber driver um, delivering packages. His wife is a in-home caregiver, caregiver to mm -hmm. the elderly, uh, but not one particular home. She kind of moves throughout no, different just homes. just to people that are qualifiers. If you remember, we do have a younger individual who has a disability. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, good call. Um, just those who need care mm -hmm. within their homes. Um, um, I like this film quite a bit. Uh, what about you? Yeah, um, positive and mixed on it, um, which I normally am with Ken Loach because he doesn't make me feel good. That's Ken Loach's thing is like you finish his movies and you don't feel good. I'm more of a Tony Erdman, Hail Caesar type of guy. I like to mm. go on a roller coaster ride and then finish feeling nice. Ken Loach Very doesn't care movies. how I feel. Uh, he wants me to feel questioned and um, human and a little bit empty, but hopeful and confused. And he's very good at it. It just, you know, ratings are emotional more than anything, I think. And it didn't make me the happiest that I've ever been watching cinema. But uh, I'm I'm positive on it and mixed on, on mm -hmm. some just generalities i guess like really just my own preferences and what i thought i would see and not seeing them mm. that has me confused which is why mm. i haven't even logged it yet yeah um th this is the first of his films that i've seen um i think i would kind of put this and the other two movies that we're watching all within the realm of social realism to to varying degrees to me this is the um, most unembellished in an aesthetic sense. Like there mm -hmm. is, uh, it's pretty straightforward 
direction and camera work and mood setting and all of that. Um, you, you forgot depression? It is... I don't know that I would describe it as, as ultimately depressing necessarily. I don't know that that was the the, the response I had. Um, I think I very much just appreciated... During, though? Oh, boy. So many moments are depressing not a moments. happy film. I'll put it that way. Um, but it's mere willingness to look at the lives of people who work at gig economy jobs and, and how exhausting and frustrating and how those jobs, you know, have implications on your personal and family life. The, the mere willingness to even just tell a story about that is fresh to me. Um, yeah, it's and just unblemished. Something... Like it, it's not trying to dress anything up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny to me how, here to stay like the gig economy is how sort of everywhere you know these kinds of jobs are and yet cinema has really only looked at it through like comedy something and ones i haven't seen to be honest like stupor or something like that um wasn't that the kumail nandiani one stupor um that's gosh that is the one with kumail and uh dave batista yes that is not really about the gig economy he exactly. just happens to be a uber driver yeah correct i don't think there I, I can't even think of a movie that was actually took that as its point of interest um, um the film um in the 90s cameron crow concert film essentially um almost famous yes that's technically about the gig economy because anytime mm-hmm. you're watching a film about music that is not about the bands that's about mm-hmm. the people working the events they're working a gig economy i i used to work events it's mm-hmm. it's a major gig economy job where you have mm-hmm. peaks and valleys all based yeah. on who's coming to town yeah i haven't seen that one um that that sounds like it totally it could be about that um yeah it to me it just it just felt fresh in its kind of contemporary relevancy um and in its sort of the simplicity of its vision which is to just let us see just just offer us a sort of matter of fact look at what um it's like to uh have these kinds of jobs and what and what that what implications that has for your you and your family um I just kind of can't argue with something that that feels um, that kind of original, I guess. Something something new. Um, yeah, bottom up truth. There's nothing to disagree with because it. None of it feels superficial. None of it feels fake. None of it feels like an artistic flourish. It just all feels bottom up truth. I completely believe there is a family living just like this in England. And there's three more living almost identically that are somehow slightly different because the daughter's the older one. And -hmm. then there's eight more families that are, you know, like it just, it feels like something that encompasses a broad truth. And then it goes beyond England itself into Mm -hmm. um, any part of the world where, you know, you had a house and then something happened at your job and where you worked and made your wage closes and now you have no idea what to do and you're scrambling and your family that you were planning on having and giving a certain life now doesn't get any of that. Yeah. Um, the stuff I liked the best is just when we're watching them kind of go about their daily work routine. Um, it's especially relevant now. I feel right in the midst of COVID we're all having shit delivered to us um, to just, watch stop after stop as the father goes about his delivery route you know he gets bitten in the ass by a dog at one stop he gets chewed out by a client who doesn't like or or customer who doesn't like his manchester united shirt um another customer won't get his id yeah you know just these the little frustrations that really add up especially when um you know you're never going to get a break um because otherwise you're going to lose your job um that you know that all just feels sort of nicely not very dramatic and just kind of real i actually think where this goes a little south for me is in trying to show how this all contributes to family drama which i think was maybe just a little less original that the kid mm. is it's not hard to believe that this kid could be a uh troublemaker and um doing things he shouldn't be doing which is going to put him at risk of expulsion or jail it's just not the most cinematically inspired, I 
think I'm familiar with those kinds of relationships. Um, but in terms of this being about um, what it feels like to just have no leniency in your in your work and you're absolutely having to show up day after day no matter what's going on in your personal life feels very worthwhile i guess even though you work for yourself it's true he's it's, a business owner yeah it's um it's a very interesting film about how there's manipulations to every single facet of the infrastructure from pretending that you are self-employed but you're really a franchisee of a company that only offers you this pay as long as you do what it has to do and if you don't do it then it's going to get someone else who does and you're going to be a bankrupt um non-employee who it doesn't owe anything to because you're a franchise owner all the way to the exact opposite side which is government care which is what his wife represents um and how that is completely non-functioning and she can't do anything to get proper compensation for herself nor she nor can she do anything to get proper care for those who require more care than what she can give and she ends up doing it on her own dime dollar and time um you know it, it shows two sides of the coin without ever feeling like it's showing two sides of the coin uh outright and i i would agree that there's something unbalanced i guess in the in the sun's role in the film i don't know if it's timing or what i it, it's weird it's like the, the side characters that he has that we get to know they're just so empty that they feel like we we got too much screen time with someone with, with some of those characters for the fact that we never see them again after that billboard sequence mm. um I, I think that that was maybe wasted attention um mm. that he put in the film um which is one of the only spots where i can think that he might have flubbed yeah i would agree it's like i don't dislike that scene but it does seem to suggest like we're going to learn more about his life outside of the home and then we really don't and so that it, that interaction with with the um the individuals who are asking what what they're doing completely pointless you know we don't really know who they are they work for the billboard company or the the they're agents of the landowner or something custodians they're not cops they're not security guards it's hard to say um it, it just an entire wasted chunk um at some level based on how the whole film comes into shape yeah yeah i i could understand uh a complaint about maybe some one dimensionality um you know the character of the son we mainly understand in relation to the father mm-hmm. um and, and that's about it and maybe with the boss as well, who is just, you know, 100% completely ruthless in his demands and um, lack of leniency, um, which I could imagine someone maybe, you know, I, to some extent I could maybe see it as being a little bit much, um, a little single shaded. I'm also kind of entertained by that performance and just like the sheer douchiness of it. Um, especially in that sequence where he's talking to the father, Ricky, about soaking up all the anger that the employees, you know, express and, and channeling that into the business for everyone's good. You know, it is, it's just, uh, it's, it's so ridiculously obnoxious that there is like some entertainment value in that, that I think sort of compensates maybe for the like lack of nuance in it yeah Um, and he's he comes off as sincere and that he's being honest and not lying to us and that goes a long way in creating a believable i guess titan or monolith that he has to go to work for and have this experience because if if you don't get that right then everything downwind of him suffering because of his job doesn't work but that comes off right and i don't hate that guy i understand why he does what he does he explains why he does what he does fairly briefly and you know he just wants to run the best you know delivery business there's nothing unethical or bad about that desire some of the stuff he does seems unethical and is problematic at some level but i you know you knew what you were getting into bed with essentially when he starts this job and 
he's introduced to it and it's like six days a week. You, you know, you work for yourself. It's no time off. All that stuff is pretty upfront. So he doesn't seem like a villain. He just seems harsh, which is important because anytime someone seems like they know they're a villain, realism disappears. It's just gone. Yeah, I think I, w- I maybe disliked him more than you did then. I, I agree. He is upfront. He's not... He's he's completely transparent, I guess, about what he demands of his employees. But I would say that there is very little compassion in his tone in how he interacts with his employees, which I I, I think is a big part of the issue in that relationship. Um, In the film, from the perspective of our characters that we are supposed to be on the side of, I dislike him from a, a omnipotent point of view where i'm just observing the writing and the directing and the performance and all that stuff i really like it because it it doesn't make a caricature and it's so sincere and it seems believable he doesn't view himself as a villain he views himself as a hero all that stuff is super important to me so that's how i don't view him as a bad guy but i Hmm. instantly all i have to do is put on blinders where i just care about that family and he's a bad guy it's oh yeah, simple, yeah, right. Yeah, which yeah, <laughs> to me that's like what yeah the movie is about, putting yourself in their shoes and how from from that perspective it it is um it does feel as if you are being treated inhumanly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how well it feels like sure yeah you can take that omnipotent perspective, but like what what good is it if like at the end of the day there are people who who cannot take that perspective? Well, I think when I am interpreting art it's extremely important to try to see like how these characters exist as just singular characters right like that's where i have a problem with les miserables their interactions with each other are everything there's no depth to the actuality of these characters whereas the individuality in eliza hitman's piece each character stands on its own i don't believe that the boy who we come to not like is truly a villain but he's a villain to me based on the um, the way that that I'm perceiving it, because there's other stuff happening that he might not be aware of, mm-hmm. that I'm fairly certain he's not aware of in that piece. Whereas in this piece, we're you know when we're experiencing it, we have that. But I, I think if you're just examining the writing or the cinematography, you're not examining how that interacts with the individuals who are subjects of the film. You're observing how they stand on their own two feet and i think that on his own two feet he's an extremely strong character which is really rare for a foreman villain oh yes yes strong and in just a the fact that he is a good character yeah yeah much like uh, marlon brando and um streetcar yeah 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 i guess i thought um you were yeah yeah um thought that the idea was that you were you were sympathizing or empathizing and 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 i think to some some degree you can i mean there's no reason why the legally he can't ask what he's doing i think the point is that maybe there there's um should be something that um prevents this kind of relationship and i don't think the movie caricatures him you're right um so yeah i i I think we agree maybe i just disliked him more than you did (laughs) i think you did (laughs) yeah i I took a step back and just viewed a lot of these guys as their writing um outcomes um a moment that i really liked that is the opposite of the foreman character is when he's doing deliveries with his daughter and they they have like a race down the corridor or she leaves a, a note that says uh you owe my dad new boxers and she puts the the x for a hug on it um that was really lifelike, you, you know, like I totally could see that. I, um, I've gotten to know a few different drivers at different jobs that I've had. Um, and I know their kids because sometimes they have their kids in the, in the truck and you, you know, that was just that perfect, um, run of the line where it shows him in his work environment, not having a bad time that this job isn't an evil thing in and of itself, that the circumstances that are affecting them from the, from the system um, are what's creating, you know, this bottom level of, of negativity and harshness in their day-to-day life. 
yeah, I think those scenes uh, are pretty important. I mean, I, I, it is a uh, tough film, but yeah, maybe not depressing might not be the first word that came to mind only because those scenes of kindness just go a long way. Um, you know, or I think about ones like the wife being in the home of one of her patients and the patients combing her hair instead of the other way around. Um, there's just some humanity in those interactions that I think goes a long way. Going through sort the family of, photos was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of alleviating the, uh, the, feeling that you're left with because you're witnessing so much hardship really yeah it it's you know it's the idea that there's something above them that's causing all this negativity and then at this bottom level there's nice stuff happening and then what happens when someone you love starts hanging out with the wrong people that is essentially what the film becomes um which I don't know how I feel about that. It, it's super honest. I just don't think I cared for it. Um, mm. I I thought that it took up an interesting amount of attention. And the way that it ends on that note is interesting. Like, has the son essentially changed his ways now? Like, like what exactly? You know, I, I don't know how to feel about that ending. I still yeah. don't. I don't. I don't know that I found it entirely credible. Um you know how exactly the son his character evolves um it does feel a little uh simple or or quick in some way um yeah i would agree that that seems like a an area of weakness perhaps favorite scene um what was one of my favorite scenes Probably just the the content we're watching the dad on his route. I just kind of like the the little vignette feel of that, which just gives me a sense of, you know, the everyday. I like that far more than the more kind of melodramatic moments of this film. What about you? Ooh, flipping it back around on me. I, I guess the one thrilling moment of the film, which is when he drives in the wrong lane through construction, and I'm essentially as a viewer going, what the fuck is, ha- is what I think happening happening? What the fuck is happening? Um, and the way that that all comes together with the beating and the theft after he urinates in the bottle, I, I cared for that scene pretty greatly. It's a memorable scene. Definitely. He lucked out in that scene. Um, anything else? That's all I got. That was our attempt to bring some new releases. We'll be getting back to the classics and Aaron Brockovich soon. Until next time. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! That's another one in the can. Ooh, changing up the enunciation. Mm. <laughs> I get creative.